Hey, welcome to the New Life Bible Fellowship Podcast. Our mission is to cultivate a community that enjoys God and transforms the world through the gospel. We hope these weekly messages inspire you, invite you to experience the greatness of God, and empower you to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. Amen and amen. So we have a treat this morning is that where we're headed is baptism. We're going to close the service with baptisms. There's 18 baptisms uh, between three of the four services today. There's maybe nine or after this service, something like that. Eight, 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 this eight today uh, after this service. But the joy, so baptism is a, is a symbol of being united with Jesus Christ in his death in order that we're united with Jesus Christ in his life. In fact, the, the whole measure of being immersed in water is that you, you cling to the cross of Christ and you die with him. You go down into the water, down into the water grave in order that you will come up with resurrection power. And that is a glorious truth of the Christian faith. We're to die to ourselves to live with God. This is not only true in baptism, it is true, you could say, of, of Easter. It is true of Palm Sunday. The reason people missed who Jesus was on Palm Sunday is they weren't willing to die to themselves. They had an image of what the Messiah would look like because he didn't look like that. They, they, clung, they clung to themselves, and if you cling to yourself, you die. If you're willing to die, you can live. This is true also in the book of Esther. So this is the book we're walking through, and there we will find that Esther and Mordecai and Haman, they are three main characters. But Esther and Mordecai, they live because they were willing to die. And Haman dies because he clung to life and wouldn't, wouldn't give it up, wouldn't release it. Now, as we dive into God's word, we're going to just pause to pray for our country this morning. Um, in the last couple of weeks, there have been frequent reminders that the world on its own is headed towards death. Uh, two weeks ago, there was a shooting in Atlanta that, that brought together sexual addiction and gun violence and racism and forced us as a nation to consider some of these things as we grieve and again, again. Then this last week in Colorado, a shooting in a grocery store. We don't even really know the pieces of it. But we're left as a nation just realizing this world's broken. And it's a reminder, when we talk of dying with Christ in order to live with him, we want that not only for ourselves, but for, for all people. We want that for this world. We live in a broken world. And the ultimate answer is to die with Christ, to have resurrection life. Can we pause and pray together? Let's pray. God, we, we begin with those who were personally affected over the past two weeks, Lord, for the families of the victims. God, that you would meet them in their grief and in their sorrow. God, that you would speak your resurrection hope into their lives and your comfort. God, we pray for us as a nation, Lord, as we evaluate these things. God, I pray that it's just very personal for each of us that you press into us, Lord, our great need for you, our great sickness, Lord, our sin, the ways in we've been entrapped in our own heart and the outflow of that and the destruction of that. 
I pray for the warning element of these past two weeks that you would speak loudly to us and call us, God, to hope in Jesus Christ alone. Our eyes turn to you, Jesus, and our hope is in you. Amen. Amen and amen. So this teaching, you could say, of dying to self in order to live. It is not only in the book of Esther that we'll be walking through and baptism that we're, we're moving towards in the service. This is the most prominent teaching of Jesus historically and of Scripture. Hear me well. The most prominent teaching of Jesus. As if, if he says, this one thing, I want you to get this one thing. I'm going to turn to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to start there. This is Matthew chapter 10, verse 38 and 39. He summarizes it with this. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Hmm. The reason you say it's a prominent teaching is because Jesus repeats it over and over again. In fact, six chapters later, we see Jesus saying this in Matthew 16. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And again, and, and if you see something repeated like three times in scripture, the, the little bells should go off. Hey, pay attention here. So I'm going to go to the Gospel of Matthew. This is in chapter 8, Jesus again. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Three alarm bells should be going off. How about four? Fourth passage in Luke 9, 23 to 25, and Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Four's a lot. But five is one more. A few chapters up, still in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. Hmm. Cherry on top category here. Sixth time. Another Gospel, Gospel of John. We see Jesus say this. Listen to the way he frames it. Because he gives a different little analogy here to frame this, this dying to live. John 12, 24 and 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You think Jesus wanted his followers to remember this? Six different times, four different occasions across all four gospels. It's the only teaching of Jesus that we have in all four Gospels. It's, it's emblazoned. It's, it's, it's tattooed on the hearts of his disciples. They hear Jesus' words. If you, if you try to hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life in Jesus Christ, there 
you will find it. That's the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's also echoed for us in the book of Esther. As we've been walking through Esther, we see this play out in Esther's life. In fact, you, you said it well. You, you have these three characters. You, you could say all of them are trying to hold on to their life in this world, and they're all dead set on a course of losing their life. Haman, Esther, Mordecai. Two of them are going to finally be willing to lose their life to find it. One will refuse. We, we talked about the, the, the rescue of Esther last week. She comes to this, this incredible moment where finally her heart is shook. And she says these words in Esther 4.16. If I perish, I perish. If I lose my life, I lose my life. So be it. it this, these are the words of rescue, of spiritual rescue. Words where we say, God, if I lose my life, so be it. I lose my life. Because I want to find it in you. So we're going to turn to Esther chapter 7. The scene is the second banquet that Esther has for the king. So it's Ahasuerus or, or, or Xerxes the king, her husband, and then Haman and her. And in the midst of this banquet, listen to the, to the words of surrender of life as Esther approaches the king. And it says this, Esther chapter 7, beginning in verse 2. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, what is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. When Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please my king, let my life be granted to me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Those are the words of, of Haman. But he wanted to kill all the Jewish people, to destroy, kill, and annihilate. He says, I have been sold by my people to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he? Who has dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe, an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. Do you hear the words of being completely sold out to dying to self in this passage? Esther, Esther looks at the king and says, We have been sold into slavery to be killed, destroyed, annihilated. King, if we had only been sold into slavery, I would have been silent. I wouldn't have brought up a single thing. But this, this is not just slavery for me or, or even my people. This is an annihilation. She surrenders her life. She says, if, if it was just slavery, I wouldn't even have said anything. But dying to self, she receives life. This is the call of Esther. This is the call of the gospel. At the beginning of our faith and today, are we willing to lose an argument? Are we willing to have a tension come up between us and our spouse and just to die to self, to set aside our own preferences? Are we willing to have a car cut in front of us 
And instead of getting on our high lofty horse as if somehow we're more important, are we willing to die to ourselves? This is the beginning of the gospel. It is the depth of the gospel. Mm. It is the story of Esther. It is the story of Easter. It's the story of baptism. Mm. I love that. The, the temporal events in the book of Esther echo into eternity. Do you, do you hear the echoes of the gospel in Haman's words first and then in Esther's words? That she was sold, her people were sold, destroyed, killed, annihilated. These are, these are the events of Holy Week. This is the life of Jesus Christ, sold for 30 pieces of silver, destroyed in the, in the beatings of his body, killed on the cross and annihilated, put in the tomb. And through his death came life. And if we are those who refuse to walk the path of death here, if we cling on to that which we think we were owed here, we're headed to eternal destruction. And so it is in the, the temporal realities of Haman's life, uh, an eternal warning should be blaring in our face. This is what happens with Haman, verse 7. And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking, and he went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther. For he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. So the king is steamed. He's angry. His closest ally, his closest advisor turned against him. He's, he has in his crosshairs the life of his own queen. He's angry. Haman's clawing for anything he can to, to, to hold on to his life. Esther, please, I'm sorry. He's begging for his life. And when he does, he trips and he begins to fall into her lap. And as Mordecai told us two weeks ago, it just so happened. As he began to fall into her lap, the king comes back in and incensed that this assault would be taking against his queen. He says, take his life. And it just so happened that a method for killing oneself, for killing another, I should say, was, was erected 75 feet tall, the front yard of Haman, the gallows to hang his arch nemesis, Mordecai. And the king says, hang him on his own gallows. This is how it ends in verse 10. So they hanged Gaiman on the, Haman on the gallows that he prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. The temporal echoes into eternity. The, 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 there's this beautiful little picture here. You, you, you've heard the phrase, pride goes before the fall, right? The, the, the pride, the ego, the, the instrument in which he was, Haman was exalting himself and pressing down his enemies is going to be his own fall. In fact, Shakespeare had, had, had another little phrase that you might have heard, hoist on his own petard. I didn't know what that meant until this past week. I mean, I knew like the gist of it, but I didn't know what a petard was. It's actually a bomb. It's like a little, so, so what it means is that you're, 
The bomb maker who makes this little bomb is hoist upward, thrown up by the explosion of his own bomb. And so it is with Haman. And so it will be with us. If the things that we cling to in this life, the methods we use to get ahead, those will be the very things on that final day that we stand in judgment with God. That will be the very things that hang us eternally and separate us from the love of God. Will you be hoist by your own petard? Will you hang on your own gallows? Or will you lose your life to find it in Jesus Christ? So the choice is fairly simple. Will, will we cling to our own reason, our own desires, our own ways, our own will, our own, our own sovereignty over our own life? Will we cling to, a, to, to our own kingdom? If we do, we cling to that and we get death eternally. We follow the path of Haman. Or will we take that step of faith into trust where we surrender life, where we die to ourselves and therefore have life in Jesus Christ? So I'm, I'm scared of heights. I don't uh, like them really at all. I've been repelling on multiple occasions. The beginning of the process of repelling, whether it's on a wall or on a mountain, I have never a single time enjoyed. You get up to the top of the wall, you're standing there, you're 1,000 feet high, like 25 feet high, but that is, it's still death. You're looking down, it feels like 1,000. And the belayer's down there, and he's saying, I got you. And you know, like right up here, you know. I can trust the rope. I can trust this harness. I I believe that this rope will catch me. He says, all right, lean back. And if you're me, you go, (laughs) how's that? No, 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 no. No, you have to trust the rope. You have to lean to your perpendicular or you will hurt yourself. And that part is painfully, there's no way. To lean back and trust the rope. It's, a, it's this game of not trusting really. There's the gospel in this. In fact, my favorite illustration of the gospel is this Frenchman who became known as the great Blondin in the, in the 1850s. So he was, he was the boy wonder gymnast of France. He came over to the United States in 1855. And in 1859, not long before the Civil War, for the very first time, he crossed Niagara Falls on a tightrope, a 1,100 feet long tightrope that was 165 above, feet above the water at the center. And he began crossing this tightrope. And it carried us in some ways as a nation, as the, as the central theme of inner of a distraction through the Civil War. And through that time, he would draw crowds in the north on the Canadian side and on the American side of Niagara Falls. And the crowds would go crazy as he became the showman. So he said, how many people think I can go across without a pole? And the crowds, yeah, yeah. And he'd go go across without, how many people think I can go across on one foot, one leg? Yeah. On one occasion, out in the middle of the rope, he set up a little camp stove. He made himself an omelet. He cooked breakfast. On one occasion, he took a chair. He set it on the rope in the middle on one leg and then got up on top of the chair on one leg, balancing. All this showmanship on one occasion, it's a famous story, happened multiple times. You can find pictures of this on YouTube, generally, or on YouTube. Google. Google the pictures. 
But he, 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 on the crowd side, he would get the crowd going, how many people think, how many people think I can go, no pull, I'm going to go across, and I'm only going to push a wheelbarrow across. And the crowd, yeah, yeah, you can do it. And he's like, okay, who's willing to get in? <laughs> yeah, not so much. <laughs> but this is the place of the gospel. It's not enough to stand on one side of the chasm and say, Jesus, I believe you can get me across. I believe you are faithful enough and strong enough. You can get me across, and you'll, you've never dropped anyone. It's a whole other thing to take the step and raise your hand and say, I'll, I'll get in the wheelbarrow. Take me across. This step, of dying to ourselves is a step of the gospel. We need it at the beginning and we need it to live out this day. If we're not willing to die to ourselves to live with Christ, Christ says, I I have nothing to do with you. And so the question is there of us. On this Palm Sunday, on this Baptism Sunday, on this day we look into Esther and we gaze at Easter. Are we willing to die to ourselves in order that we would live with Christ. Mm, I love that. Let me share with you my wheelbarrow story. It's a simple story. A story that's been, been told thousands of times over. And on the one hand, you could just look right past it because it's so simple and basic. And, oh, I've heard that. I grew up in a Christian family. Godly parents who loved Jesus took us to church spoke the gospel into our lives. 10 years old, went to a missions conference at our church and felt the call of of vocational gospel ministry on my heart. And so I began to have a conversation with my mom and dad afterwards. I feel like God's calling me to do this thing. What do I do next? And so we went home and then they, they decided, well, let's set up a meeting with the children's pastor. And we went in. I asked this question, well, like, what do I do next? How do I start this? And he and his wisdom did such a great thing. He pulled back and he said, hold on, hold on. Let me ask a question before that. Have you trusted Jesus as your savior in your life? I went home that night as an internal processor and processed that in my bed over and over again. Well, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the son of God. I believe he died for me and rose again have I trusted him? Okay, God. Okay, Jesus. I trust you. With that step, I went from belief to trust. I went from cheering for the great Blondin to stepping into the wheelbarrow. And that's the invitation of the gospel. The step from our own capacity and even, even cheering on Jesus Christ from, from the sidelines to stepping into his death with him that we might experience resurrecting life through our powerful Savior, Jesus Christ. It was said to me before I was married that there will be no marriage issue we will ever face that won't be solved if we will both simply be willing to die to ourselves. There's truth there. 
all the trouble of the world comes when we refuse to die to ourselves, where we, where we pursue our own desires, our own, our, our own preferences, our own ways, and we lead our own lives. Are we willing to die to ourselves to live with Christ? This is the call. So this morning we have this great privilege of closing with baptism. And it is an enormous celebration this weekend of what God is doing in families' lives. Now one dynamic of this I want to talk about. So as a church, we don't draw a line on the age you have to be in order to be baptized. We believe strongly in believer's baptism. That a person has to personally make a commitment to surrender their life and follow Jesus Christ. It's not a, a commitment of their parents or another friend. It is, it is on their own. So they have to be mature enough, in a sense, to make that decision. But we leave it up to parents, especially with children. That are their children ready? Because we don't know where the line is. Is it, you know, at what age is it? So this weekend, there are a couple of examples of some young children being baptized. And when I say that, uh, it's not actually in this service. There's a two-year-old and a four-year-old being baptized. And it stretches me personally because that, that's really young. I mean, my, my own children waited till they were teenagers. I wanted to make sure they understood it on their own. But where's that line? I, I can't say. I don't know. I do know this. There's some families literally whole families, one in the service, coming to the Lord because Jesus Christ is doing a miraculous, beautiful work. Husband, wife, kids, drawing a whole family to Christ. And that is something to celebrate off the charts and join with the angels. It is awesome. So we're going to... We're going to watch a video of some of their testimonies pieced together, and then we're going to celebrate together in baptism. Let's come to the Lord. Thanks for listening to the New Life Bible Fellowship Podcast. We'd love to have you join us next week at either our Cratera location or online campus, which you can join at newlifetucson.live. Have a great week.